Meal kits are harder than people think. At HelloFresh, our mission is to change the way people eat forever. Having a founder that is thinking over the long-term time horizon, that is ambitious and is willing to delay gratification to achieve that ambition is absolutely vital. My North Star is that I want to be very confident that every year the product that we're building is much, much better than the product that we had in the year before. You know the opportunity set is large. We spend trillions of dollars on food, but you don't know how large it is and it's unbounded. And that's a very good place to be. Hello and welcome to season two of Invest in Progress, brought to you by Scottish Mortgage. I'm Claire Shaw, an investment specialist in the team. In this podcast, we take you behind the scenes to hear the conversations that take place between the Scottish mortgage managers and the leaders of some of the world's most exceptional growth companies. As we are a UK investment trust, we can only market Scottish mortgage to certain audiences and in certain jurisdictions. Check out the podcast description to ensure this content is suitable for you. And as with any investment, your capital is at risk. Think about what's involved in cooking a meal. If you're anything like me, you decide what you fancy and then you browse through books and websites to find a suitable recipe. You then rake through the cupboards to see which ingredients you have, head to the supermarket to pick up the ones you don't have. You then cruise the aisles getting everything you need, go to the checkout, load up the car, you get home, unpack and maybe realise you've forgotten something. And that's all before you've even started cooking. The company featuring in this episode addresses all of that. HelloFresh takes the hassle out of meal planning and grocery shopping by providing convenient and healthy meal options straight to your doorstep. You simply select the meals you like ahead of time and then receive a box with the exact amount of the right ingredients, an easy to follow recipe card, and voila. To tell us more about the company revolutionizing grocery shopping and our daily eating habits, we welcome the CEO and founder of HelloFresh, Dominic Richter. But before we chat to Dominic, I'm here with Deputy Manager of Scottish Mortgage, Lawrence Burns. So Lawrence, with this episode, I think we're going to be tapping into people's everyday lives and their food habits. Uh, I myself, I'm a keen cook, but I also love the convenience of the HelloFresh meal kits. So opening question to you, are you a keen cook? Or do you enjoy the weekly shop or is the flexibility and convenience of HelloFresh something you enjoy as well? Uh, so I'm a terrible cook. <laughs> um, so anything that makes uh, life on that front easier, I'm a big fan of. And the way in my family that we use HelloFresh is we fall into the category of people that use it um, more when there are certain sort of changes in our lifestyle and happening. So um, every time my parents come up um, to, to visit us and stay with us, um, which we're very fortunate we haven't put them off coming up, they come up quite frequently still, um, is usually when we go into using HelloFresh. And the reason we do it is the complexity of cooking meals at home for us in those periods goes up massively. Um, you know, trying to get everyone's um, orders of what they want to eat, the cooking, the shopping, the ingredients, and HelloFresh takes all of that hassle away for those periods of really high complexity. And for Scottish Mortgage, we first bought HelloFresh back in 2015 when it was a private company. Um, it's now public, but generally if you look across our private holdings, the majority of our companies and opportunities tend to be concentrated in the US, particularly, you know, West Coast US. HelloFresh is a lot closer to home, a company founded in, in Berlin. So how surprising is it that HelloFresh has come out of, of Berlin? So, so Berlin is an interesting place. Um, it has 
interesting cultural dynamics of sort of um, rebellion against sort of um, order or authority. Um, it's, it's a wonderful place to live. But, but it is surprising in the, how successful HelloFresh have been on the global stage. Um, not only have they been very successful across Europe um, and, and in Australia as well, um, but it's also been the U.S. market where they've gone into the U.S., competed against uh, an American meal kit company and really won and taken control of the market. Um, and, and that is that is more unusual um, to have Europeans go and beat American tech and growth companies at their own game. And I think it speaks to um, you know the quality of Dominic as a CEO and leader of the business who we're about to talk to. Um, and I also think it speaks to um, the process mindset of him and the team. Um, making meal kits uh, right and scaling up is a really complex process and they've been able to nail uh, various parts of that process really well. I'm really looking forward to listening to yourself and Dominic Lawrence. We will catch up afterwards. So with that, I will hand over to you. Hi, Dominic. Good to see you. I hope you're doing well. Hi, Lawrence. Great seeing you. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us on this podcast today. Um, I know you're very busy. You've got millions of meals every day to deliver to hungry people. Um, and so your time is greatly appreciated. Thanks a lot. I've been listening to some previous episodes and uh, sounded like a lot of fun. So more than happy to be here and uh, happy to see you again, to speak to you again, Lawrence. Maybe just to start off, for, for those who haven't used HelloFresh, your service before, you know, what is HelloFresh? Take us through how does it work um, at a high level for the customer? So at HelloFresh, our mission is uh, to change the way people eat forever. And for the first eight years, we've really been focused on going after the weeknight at-home dinner opportunity. And what we did is we pioneered the concept of direct-to-consumer meal kits. So as a customer, you pick anything from two to six meals from a new and rotating menu of about 50 meals per week that we send every every week to you as a customer. And you decide then how many times you'd actually like to cook that week, for how many people in the household, when to receive your delivery to your front door. And on the back end, what we do is we not only develop the recipes and menus, but then go out, source all of the ingredients, repackage them into the exact quantities. You actually need to cook these delicious meals and deliver them right to your doorstep once per week. That's fascinating. And obviously, you're doing it at some scale without a, about a billion meals um, every year. Um, That's right. Before founding HelloFresh, you know, you, you weren't a chef, but, but you were a footballer. Can you just talk us through that, that early stage, your career change, and how you became uh, part of HelloFresh's founding team back then? Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess the, the modern way to describe is that the, probably between the ages of, uh, of 10 to 18, I really sort of identified as an athlete. And uh, there was little question in my mind that uh, I would become a footballer. I haven't really thought about anything else. And I was good. I was talented. But the more I learned about really the probabilities of actually achieving um, becoming a professional footballer, the more I realized that it's quite unlikely. And um, even if you play academy youth football, the chances are maybe 5% for you to actually like make a good living and make it beyond age 25 in uh, in professional football. And so when I was about 18, 19, I kind of like started thinking about, hey, what's next? And am I really good enough? And all these things. And at some point decided to end my career um, about age 20, went to university instead and was looking for something new. And uh, immediately um, drawn toward entrepreneurship, uh, as, you know, dabbled 
with a few other friends in setting up one or two companies um, during our university times. Spent a lot of time discussing different ideas and developed a real passion for that. And after a brief one-year stint post-university in finance, I then got together with two of my smartest friends and uh, we eventually settled on uh, on the food space and came up with the concept of HelloFresh and pioneering meal kits in a direct-to-consumer way. That's a pretty analytical way to think of the career path of football, of looking through the probability and odds, um, which has no doubt served you well as you've, you've got into thinking and selecting what business you then wanted to build. Maybe just taking us back to that period, I mean, you know, what, what were some of the original thoughts and vision of HelloFresh and what attracted you to the, the, the concept and made you think this would, would work? So what I really learned in starting the first business together with friends during university was that we were always looking at, hey, what's what's a problem that is really just one for ourselves and what is something that looks like a good business opportunity? But we didn't look enough sort of like, is it something that we're actually passionate about? And is it something that's a really big market? Because I think um, you always hit rough patches when when building a business. And if you do something that you have a true passion for, and if you do something that's in a big market, then you don't even need to become the biggest company in that market. You don't need to, you know, get to a huge market share to build a big business. And those were two things in the back of our minds when actually trying to choose what to do. And so back then, we then also, in a, I guess, a very analytical way, kind of like um, went through um, different different sectors and different consumer categories because it was clear to us that we want to build something for consumers, something that we can personally relate to, have a personal passion for. And as we settled on the food space and really tried to identify problems, work backwards really from what are the problems and challenges that consumers have today in cooking the right meals, cooking healthy and nutritious meals, we basically came up with the with the concept of meal kits and then started that um, first in Germany, but um, eventually moved all across Europe and then also to North America. Maybe you could take us through how complex in some ways this business has become. Because from a customer like myself, it was hella fresh. I get the meal, I get the ingredients. The complicated bit for me is assembling them and making a decent meal, which doesn't always, um, which I, I struggle at more than most people. But you know, take us through that process of getting the meal kit to the customer, from choosing the recipes through to getting it to a customer's door. What are the different steps? What are the pain points and complexities that you have to solve to do that efficiently and to do that at the scale that you're doing it at today? Let me start at uh, the sort of like process of recipe development and actually putting together the right menu. I think that's something that is vastly underappreciated and... I think a lot of competitors, also like big retailers in the past who tried to mm. compete with us, like really underappreciated the the art and science that is behind that. That's really where it starts. We started out with a very, very small assortment. So it was all about what are five or 10 meals that really have mass market appeal? And how can you still make sure that you have variety week over week, month over month? Um, now that we have a lo- much larger assortment, we don't have as many constraints, but it's still quite difficult to think about our recipe database that um, contains, you know, um, about 10,000 recipes and picking the ones that from a cost perspective, from a taste perspective, but also from a variety perspective, really appeal most to different customer groups. That's sort of like the first thing that it really starts with and that we as a direct-to-consumer company um, can really fully control and also put a lot of both art and science into that process of coming up with the right recipes 
and then translating from all of the recipes that we have that into the right menu that actually we then publish toward customers. On the sort of like whole supply chain and logistics side, um, we have direct um, relationships with around about two and a half thousand suppliers around the globe. We built that up over the last decade. So probably for the first three to five years, um, we were mainly going via food service um, offers, offerings, but then really under, started to understand that not only is it better for freshness, but also for our margin, if we actually directly integrate with a lot of suppliers along our supply chain. So today, um, no matter whether you talk about cattle farmers, chicken farmers, fishermen, um, dairy farmers, vegetable farmers, etc. There's a lot um, of different suppliers that we work with directly and that we have built like very tight integrations and relationships with. On the logistics side, um, more and more we do some of our um, deliveries ourselves because we can guarantee better quality, better on-time delivery and a better customer experience if we actually run that ourselves. So I think that's also something where depending on where you live, which country, which market, which delivery slot you have, it becomes a pretty complex um, function to solve. When's the right slot for you? What's the best delivery window for you? And what also makes sense for us from a cost perspective, right? I mean, I think what's always been striking to us is that people look at meal kits and because you make it simple and because it's about ingredients in a box, they think it's a more simplistic and easy to run and scale business than it really is. But I think that brings to life that there's quite a lot of different skill sets that you need to master and you need to master every single week um, from you know, the data science of the recipes to the fulfillment um, you know, right across the supply chain. I mean, given your menu changes every week and it's dependent as well on what customers are choosing, how, how do you manage suppliers? I mean, presumably some ingredients you order every week like garlic and then some will be seasonal like mangoes. Um, how, how do you balance those relationships with the suppliers to given those huge amount of variables that you're dealing with. That's right. Um, there are some categories which are pretty much featured sort of like every single week in a menu, right? If you think about chicken, if you think about beef, if you think about potatoes, tomatoes, and a bunch of other um, ingredients, those are featured almost every week in some of our meals and hence on our menus. And for those categories, we tend to actually go into longer term contracts with some of the suppliers. Then there are some categories such as dairy or certain cheeses or pastas, which we feature every other week or every other month. And sometimes you have longer term contractual obligations. Sometimes you actually choose to buy that on the spot market. So that's always then a sort of like case by case decision. How much do we actually want to lock in prices versus how much do we want to, um, how much, how much flexibility do we actually would like to have, um, up until the last minute that we, that we need to order or might want to change our menu. And then there are certainly like, um, ingredients that we only use a couple of times per year. And those are, um, either some that we buy on the spot market directly or where we collaborate closely with different farmers or growers to actually, um, for them to actually plant exactly what we need for them um, for those meals. And very often we actually collaborate with them sort of like three to six months in advance and say, hey, in week 42, we're going to be featuring purple potatoes on the menu. Can you grow for us half a million purple potatoes um, for that for in three months or in six months time? 
And that is something where very often you can uh, strike good deals and really build like very deep and meaningful um, relationships with some of your suppliers. And, and presumably over the years, as you've gone directly to more and more suppliers, that, that means that the freshness you're able to offer versus other ways of eating is higher because you're, you're not going for a wholesaler. It's not sitting in a distribution center for a week or then sitting on a supermarket shelf for another few days. So that the time from farm to table is, is shorter with HelloFresh than most other ways of eating. Absolutely. And I think that also makes intuitively sense. The less touches a product requires, the less stops, the less middlemen, the fresher it is, and also the more potential to extract margin you actually have. So it's both good for business. It's both good for the consumer. It's good for the environment. So it's a win-win, but it actually, it actually requires that you're building up like a strong internal muscle to do that. And you can't do that from day one. You need certain economies of scale first. You need to get to certain uh, thresholds for that uh, for that to make sense. But once you are able to do that, really everybody benefits. And you know, you mentioned the environment there. You know, your business has quite generates quite large reductions in food waste. Um, how, how meaningful is that for your business and, and the impact that you're having on food waste? It's quite meaningful. Um, the 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 small challenges that we're operating in so many markets globally, um, 18 markets globally at the moment, and food supply chains are often very local, that it's always hard to make like a generic statement. But traditional food supply chains have huge problems with food waste from all the way from source to table. In the US, which is probably the most studied market, um, about one third of the harvest never makes it to a customer because of shrink, waste along the supply chains, you know, you have odd shapes of the produce and due to the fact that no consumer actually wants to buy the, the last avocado or tomato left in the store. So the picture is slightly better in Europe, but still produces significant food waste issues. And I think people can see it in their own households because obviously when you go shopping, you order and buy more than you need, whereas HelloFresh gives you the exact um, filled out amount of um, ingredients most of the time. And that, that's always a big, big saving. And what I found fascinating about HelloFresh has been just how radically your proposition has improved over the time that we've invested in you. So if you go back to 2015, when we first met, there was about maybe five meal options that you could have um, in a week. Um, and you take it to where we are today, as you're alluding to, in some markets, you have over 50 meal options. And, and to me, that, that really changes the nature of the proposition, both as an investor and as a customer using the service, because suddenly I'm not just going, well, I don't want that meal, or I want to avoid that one. I'm going, what do I fancy tonight? And almost using it like a search bar. Um, and you've made other improvements as well on pricing, on delivery. Um, you know, how, how much of an impact do you think that's had in allowing you to actually grow the market opportunity to be much larger than it was when you started out? So talk us through how that proposition has evolved, and, and also where you think it can still improve. When I look back, I, I feel very embarrassed about the product that we were that we were offering to consumers at that point. But at the same time, I hope that I look back at uh, 2023 in five or 10 years' time and, and uh, actually be very embarrassed of uh, what we're actually offering um, to consumers today. But in the end, like... Um, the menu expansion, so basically going from five to 50 choices, that has allowed us to customize much better our offering to different segments of the market, right? There are some who 
don't want to spend more than 20 minutes cooking, others who don't want to spend more than 30 minutes cooking. There are some who want to eat low carb, others don't eat fish or pork or shellfish. So there's so many different taste profiles and so many different preferences. And food is such a such a personal thing for many people where they have such a but they're such opinionated about what they actually want to eat or don't want to eat that this has been sort of like one of the one of the most important dimensions for us to go from niche product to a much more mass market appeal. And I definitely don't think that we're at the end of the road here. Um, I still do see that there's a lot of consumers that wish for, you know, at the moment, for example, vegan meals is a big trend. I think in a lot of market, we feature at the moment about uh, three three to five vegan meals, but um, not not in all markets. And uh, the vegan meals, I think we, we can still do better. And there's a lot more other diets and more convenient options that uh, customers actually want to have. So enabling across all of our supply chain to have a lot more choice for consumers that then enables you to to really kind of like reach out to more and more audiences and to really make it a no-brainer for a lot of people to when they think about weeknight dinners, weeknight cooking, that there shouldn't be any other solution or any other viable alternative that can really deliver um, much, much better on the promise that it gets you the best, healthiest and most nutritious meal on the table. And that's kind of like also what I try to challenge everybody internally on that. It's not about thinking, what are we today? But really sort of like, what can we be in five years or in 10 years? And my vision very, very clearly is that all of the different excuses why somebody is not using HelloFresh today, whether that's we don't have the right delivery windows or we don't have the meals that you like or we are not affordable enough for you. All of these things, I think, with additional scale and with investing into additional choice, into a better customer experience should go away so that hopefully in, you know, 10 years time, we're not uh, talking about serving about 1% of all of the meals that our target groups cook at home. But hopefully that goes up to 2%, to 3%, to 5%. And then we obviously also grow into a much, much bigger business. Yeah. I mean, as you point out in a lot of your materials, you know, Globally, people are spending about $7 trillion on food. So in some ways, how big a share you can get at that, that it's not about the TAM. We know the TAM is huge. It's, it's can you get the proposition to match with what people want over time, which I think you've been excellent at doing. The other element there you mentioned is, is scale, because you mentioned it earlier in terms of we need to scale so that we can go directly to the producers, so that it can be fresher, so that it can be more cost effective. But presumably, you know, when you started out, the idea of offering 50 meals was just a, a no-go because you were trying to scale to make it profitable to do five. But over time, what's been key, at least observing HelloFresh, has been uh, using your growth, using your scale, and reinvesting it back in the business to offer more to customers, whether that's handling more complexity on the meal side or whether that's um, rising prices uh, much lower than inflation. Um, is, is that the right way to think about it in terms of, you know, you've consistently tried to reinvest in this proposition? I like to always think about, number one, what is the cost to serve that we have and how can we lower that cost to serve and that we should really celebrate if we can actually lower it. Because then as a second step, we can make a decision. Do we want to take that to our bottom line and potentially make investors happy? Do we want to invest that into a better customer proposition 
to be able to hold on to customers longer or to reach out to new custom audiences, etc. But sort of like the the more you can improve your product or the more you can improve your cost to serve, the more opportunities you actually have to make your product better. And, and you mentioned investors there a couple of times. I hope you, you know over the years, you know, our, our preference has always been if you're facing a very large market opportunity and you can reinvest to grow that opportunity to improve that proposition and therefore grow what you can become over a five or 10 year period. You know, we've always been very happy to delay that margin progression for that that big long-term reward that you've been going after. Unfortunately, not everybody thinks like you, Lawrence, but um, we've always appreciated that. And I think as a founder-led company, we also usually try not to be disturbed too much by any short-term noise um, around what investors um, want for the next quarter or not, but really think about the next three years, the next five years and the next 10 years. And uh, I always felt that um, at least we were always very aligned on that. And, and Dominic, you, you won't know this, but after we first met in 2015, um, I told my parents about HelloFresh as a, as a customer proposition, because I think as an investor, when you come across consumer companies, if you're passionate about them and you think that they're, they're a good proposition, you end up telling your friends and family. And, and that becomes quite a helpful sort of feedback loop of when they use it, do they like it? What are their problems? And I've done this with a lot of companies um, over the years. But what was striking with introducing HelloFresh to my parents was um, they started it in 2015. Um, and they basically used it solidly and probably became some of your sort of hopefully most sort of loyal customers in the UK. That was quite telling to me about how much they um, used it and how much it became a part of their lifestyle once they'd um, made that transition. Um, and a lot of people now will probably got to have known HelloFresh during the pandemic. Um, yeah, maybe we could talk a little bit about what was that pandemic period like for you as a business? It must have been a huge operational challenge, both dealing with the conditions of operating a business in the real world in a pandemic situation, but also at the same time having to cope with a huge surge of demand that you got through that period. That's right. We... And we really entered the pandemic period already on a pretty steep growth trajectory. So if you think back to to 2019, I think we grew the business by about 50% year over year. And as we have discussed over the last couple of minutes before, it's a very challenging supply chain that you actually need to set up. So it's not easy to like um, double your business or triple your business in any given period because it has a lot of um, downstream effects on your manufacturing capabilities, on your suppliers, um, on consumers, the load on your technology, on your systems, etc. We've always been a high growth company, and actually, 2019 was uh, was the year that was the the, the lowest year over year growth um, year up to that point in time, with about 50% year over year growth. And we were going into 2020 probably um, looking for sort of like 35 to 40% year over year growth, which again given the supply chain that we operate, is already something that is not easy. We then ended up 2020 with them um, almost doubling um, our revenues and then um, almost doubling revenues again in the year after. And hence, um, as you rightly pointed out, um, between 2020 and uh, 2022, we kind of like more than tripled sort of like revenues, um, which definitely was something that was a super intense period for us on all different frontiers. 
So from scaling up our fulfillment center, from scaling up sort of like our um, technology workforce to demand management that we really had to do because a lot of people stuck at home wanted to try out something new, etc. So it was operationally and in terms of company building, organization, organization building, a very, very intense time. I think generally we did a lot of things that um, made a ton of sense um, retrospectively and more things right than wrong. And uh, was quite amazed uh, looking back how we navigated um, through some of those periods as a company. And a lot of people came together like really, really well to make that happen. But it's also been, you know, um, a double-edged sword. And there are certainly some things that um, in retrospect you would have done differently or um would have would have made different decisions if you had more time to think it through and wouldn't have been wouldn't have been driven so much by such a short-term um demand spikes which are really sort of like i think a once in a lifetime experience um in terms of you know at the scale that we were at i think at that point like um two two and a half billion and then like doubling your business and um, almost doubling it again so that's that's something that was uh, really a unique experience, which I think looking back or with hindsight bias, we did more things right than wrong, but we operated in a big um, realm of un uncertainty. And there were a lot of things that were unknowns and unknown unknowns. And uh, overall, um, a very, very challenging period for sure. And I remember when we met a couple of months back in Berlin, you, you gave the example of look, there are customers that came in during the early part of the pandemic in 2020 that tried our product for a bit, got used to how it worked, and then sort of said, but it's not for me, the meal choices aren't enough, um, there aren't enough delivery days. But you now see in the data, some of those customers that tried it in the pandemic for a while churned off coming back and almost rediscovering how they're fresh and going, actually, this proposition is now better than I thought it was before and converting back into customers. That's right. And uh, it's something that that generally, um, I think we have seen over the years that number one, it's about getting the brand out in front of people. It's about making people aware of what it is and where does it fit into their schedule. But then we continuously work on the proposition and on the customer experience. And every year, I think my North Star is that I want to, I want to be very confident that every year the product that we're building is much, much better than the product that we had in the year before. And I think if we, um, if we continue doing so, then there's also like much more growth for the business ahead of us because a better proposition always leads to more customers buying into that, customers staying longer, customers finding more value in your product. And so to me, my personal North Star for the business is always like thinking about, do I have the feeling that in this department, in this function, in the customer proposition, we're clearly much better today than we were 12 months ago. And, and the other thing, of course, that you did during um, the last few years, and, and it happened to be in the pandemic period that you alluded to before, was that you moved into ready to eat. Um, and, and that's been a phenomenal business um, you know, when you bought Factor, sort of 100 million in revenue, going to a billion in just a couple of, of years. Could you talk a little bit about um, what motivated you to go into that area and the experience of doing so? We always listen a lot to what customers are telling us. So we're polling customers about how much did they like the recipes that they got? What do they think we can improve with the service, et cetera? And one of, one of the feedbacks that we, that we always get is, 
we like the meals, but we wanted, we wanted even more convenient. So what we did in the meal kit business, we went from meals that five years ago took on average 45 minutes to now, I think it's about 30 minutes. There is a range of 15 to 20 minute meals that we have on the menu. That's on the sort of like meal kit side. But we also heard the same thing about uh, even with the 15 on 20 minute meal range, we still hear people saying like, yeah, I like the meals, I like the taste, but you know, can it even be shorter? So that was one data point that uh, that we really took serious and tried to understand how can we target even shorter cooking time windows, but then also realized when looking at the different providers in the ready to eat space and in also assessing whether we should set something up ourselves or go for an M&A opportunity, that the other thing that's really interesting is that ready meals are usually consumed when you're alone. So either when you're eating sort of like lunch at the desk in your office or when you're eating it um, at home, when you're not eating together with your family, with your kids, whereas meal kits are actually something that you usually do together. So I think there's about there's less than 10 percent of our customers who actually cook for themselves a meal kit and then sort of like eat that by themselves. Whereas when we think about our ready meal customers, a lot of them are actually using that for those meal occasions that they spend alone that they um, spend at the office, spend at home, but spend alone, don't engage in family dinners. So we felt it was really complimentary. And we also felt that a lot of the muscles that you need to, that you need and that you need to be good at to operate a ready to eat business are actually the same muscles that you need to be good at to operate a meal kit business. And I think the combination of customer research of our own capabilities and of also understanding that it that is something that can um, enlarge our total addressable market was what really made us excited about that space. And we eventually decided to pursue an M&A opportunity and for the last three years have been working super closely with the, with the X-Factor team, um, Factor 75, that's the brand that we took over in the US to uh, make this sort of like one of the strongest ready-to-eat players um, on the market. Um, by most accounts, the largest ready-to-eat player on the market and have also recently started to internationalize that business, first to Canada and more recently to Europe as well. And it's been great to see it coming into Europe. I mean, how, how big and important part of your overall business do you think RTE can be in the long run? It's always a bit tough to say, um, to give you sort of like a, an exact number or like an exact uh, total addressable market that we're going after. Because in my view, Going for ready-to-eat meals in a direct-to-consumer fashion completely changes the proposition. So if you don't have to go through that long and uh, windy um, retail supply chain, all of a sudden you can have a much bigger assortment. You can cater to a lot more um, different tastes and a lot more different um, diets than you can in retail. You can offer it at a very competitive price point. You can use a lot less preservatives than you usually do in, in, in a retail model. And so I actually do think that we're reimagining the category at the moment. And I do think that the ready meal category in five or 10 years from now will be much, much bigger than what it is today, but at the same time, much more nutritious, much tastier and much healthier than what most people, what most people think of ready meals today. But in my view, uh, there is there is really very little reason why 
this business line shouldn't become as big as Mealkits is today. If I think about the dynamics that I see in the business, then it very much reminds me to the growth momentum that we saw across markets and meal kits in 2015, 2016. So those were sort of like the early days where we felt like we have strong product market fit. We can really go after a big market. We can scale. Um, and that is very much what, what the, the ready to eat market reminds me of today. Yeah. And, and I thought it was amazing that. Um, it's been the second fastest growing direct-to-consumer brand in the U.S., um, second only to Sheen, which is is pretty phenomenal in, in, to have that sort of that level of, of of growth and impact in the U.S. market. Yeah, no, for sure. And and I think again, what you've achieved in the ready-to-eat business is a good validation of that ability to go into areas that are a bit different and and build and scale really impressively. How often today do you get time to use meal kits yourself? Uh, and and what is your favorite recipe? I'd say I probably cook um, on average about uh, two to three HelloFresh meals per week. And, you know, I'm, I don't really have the one favorite recipes, but what I, what I, what I, what I very often go for are fish recipes. I think it's really hard to get the right quality and quantity of, uh, of fish yourself to understand how to prepare it. And for me personally, or for our household, it's been a real game changer to introduce a lot more fish and fish recipes into into our household with HelloFresh. But on that and on really eating um really eating your own dog food and uh, and making making sure that you that you're staying close to the business I think it's uh, it's incredibly important. And and, and are the ready to eat meals when as they're coming to Europe are they going to compete for your attention as well if you have competition almost for your existing meal kits there in in your in your daily life? I think complementary because there are a lot of meals that um, I eat by myself, whether that's uh, uh, lunch every other day, sort of like in the office, or whether that's, um, um, you know, um, a few times per week, uh, potentially eating dinner by myself. So there are there are some occasions where I'm eating by myself. And there I think um, ready meals actually come in very handy, whereas I definitely don't or wouldn't want to miss um, family dinners and um, cooking healthy, wholesome meals from scratch um, for, for family dinners with meal kits. The final question I was just going to ask was, you know, what does the world look like if HelloFresh succeeds for you? In short, I think uh, the world will be a better place. I think we'll, we'll offer consumers great choices for all of the different meal occasions. So that means whether you come for dinner, for lunch or for breakfast options, whether you want to have options for consumption at home or in the workplace, we will have that readily available for you, for all members of that family. And through our vertical integration, you know, consumers can be sure that they get the highest quality of meals at an affordable pri uh, price point. And so success for us really is that a lot of consumers would agree with the statement that it's an absolute no-brainer to cover, you know, as many of your different weekly meal occasions with HelloFresh because our different HelloFresh products are the tastiest highest quality and most sustainable products out there. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us and, and updating us on, on that long-term vision of HelloFresh. It's been remarkable to watch and observe it as you've, you've grown and moved into new areas and look forward to um, having you back on in the future to talk about the, the three or four new businesses that don't exist today that are billion-dollar businesses in the future. It was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot, Lawrence. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in person sometime soon. So welcome back, Lawrence. Uh, 
I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation there. And I love Dominic's think it was opening phrase and about the mission of HelloFresh, you know, this concept of changing the way people eat forever, you know, not an easy problem to solve, but it sounds like they're doing a pretty good job um, of achieving that. With the season, we are finishing off each episode by asking the managers the same five questions about the investment case. So for HelloFresh, the first question that we have today is, how did you come across the company and, and what's the, the journey that Scottish Mortgage has been on with HelloFresh since the beginning? So HelloFresh started its life as a, as a private company investment within Scottish Mortgage. And we got to know the company through another investment, which was in Rocket Internet, that were a large shareholder of HelloFresh. Um, and, you know, Dominic came up to Edinburgh in 2015. He met us uh, and introduced us to the concept. Um, and, you know, we, we decided to invest. And as we sort of covered in that podcast at the time, it was a more restricted uh, proposition of sort mm. of only five meal choices. And we've seen it radically evolve over that journey. Um, we supported them in a subsequent private round, um, as we tend to do, being supportive to our companies over the long term. They then went to IPO, um, where we were again supportive. Uh, and it's been a volatile journey for HelloFresh because... Um, I think they've always been uh, greeted by market scepticism mm -hmm. um, throughout their time as a public company. But as we stand today, you know, as I said, it is a business that's about four times larger and has higher margins. And I think what becomes really interesting is, is actually what's next in the journey, um, as we've talked about with, with Ready to Eat, with new D2C offerings over time. And just following on from that, Lawrence, I mean, you and Tom talk a lot about the importance of founder-led companies. I think Dominic might be the first ex-professional footballer founder that we have in the portfolio. But just tell us in your opinion a little bit more about what is it about Dominic's personality and the kind of culture that he instills in the business that improves the odds of success in your eyes for HelloFresh? Well, I think some of what he was saying, you, you, you'll have got a taste for that. Um, he thinks about things over five and ten year timescales. Um, you know, if, if you go back in time, they could have reached profitability sooner and produced much mm -hmm. higher margins than even they do today, had they decided to sort of sit back and 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 basically not reinvest that money into the product. And so, I think having a founder that is thinking over the long term time horizon, that is ambitious and is willing to delay gratification to achieve that ambition is absolutely vital, and Dominic has that in spades. So I'd be interested in, in your take. You know, What for you is the competitive edge that HelloFresh has? Yeah, so, so I think meal kits are harder than people think. Yeah. So you've got your uh, data science for managing uh, recipes, you've got working with suppliers, you've got your customer acquisition machine um, and, and customer management. You've got your uh, distribution and fulfillment assembly, and then you've got your last mile logistics um, and that overarching sort of passion for food. And you have to execute perfectly, basically, on all of those. And what was really difficult when there was a more crowded field of meal kit companies was that it was very hard to get people to make that big personal change in their lifestyle. And, you know, because when you, when you order your HelloFresh box for the first time, you're investing quite a lot of your own time in that proposition, the time of making uh, those five meals or so. Uh, and food is like quite personal um, and quite important to our families. Um, and so that required um, a fair amount of upfront marketing costs. And, and that meant that a lot of these businesses, when they started, they had to scale quite a lot before they could scale to hit profitability. Um, 
And being able to scale and get all of those skill sets right and executed right was not something that everyone could achieve. And there's been a lot of competitors that have fallen by the wayside in that process. And then as you move forward to today, what I think further pushes HelloFresh out of um, the rest of the pack has been they've uh, been incredibly successful. They've scaled. But again, they've reinvested those benefits of scale back into the proposition going from five meal choices to 50 plus, having the ambition to go well beyond that. And that's meaning that the ability for others, I think, to, com to compete and deal with what they're doing only becomes harder over time. So maybe just moving tact a little bit, Lauren's thinking about some of the challenges. Um, Dominic referenced the pandemic, you know, during your conversation. He said, you know, the company had got more things right than wrong, but overall it was a tough time for the company, you know, trying to navigate that kind of volatile um, backdrop. So in your opinion, if you look at the potential threats that faces HelloFresh now, you know, what do you think is the most significant and how well placed are they to overcome some of those threats? I think with some of the muscles in different parts of their business that they have today in customer acquisition, a bank of customers that they can reactivate, the fulfillment and delivery infrastructure that they've built up, that, that makes them very well positioned against anyone that wants to come in and, and largely just do what they do. Trying to do that better, I think, would be a really, really tough challenge. Um, so there, I think you then move on to, you know, the long-term risks. Are, are there form factors that could change that mean that there's a new way of doing um, food at home that directly challenges HelloFresh that we haven't thought of? Um, and there, I think, you know, we're quite well positioned in Scottish Mortgage because we're investing in lots of companies that are approaching food in different ways, whether it's Ocado with um, you know, your sort of grocery shop, whether it's Delivery Hero with your restaurant meals and DoorDash as well. Um, and so I think that helps us sort of monitor how food might be changing and evolving in quite a helpful way. But the real risk is that there's some form change that we don't really anticipate happening. The other challenge, I think, is just they've come off a period of exceptional um, demand. And we, you know, we need to be patient and see what that normalized growth looks like um, post-pandemic. Um, you know, they, they grew over 25% last year, um, so that was a pretty good growth rate. Um, and I think for this year and for the next few years, what's really key is really what Dominic was talking about, which is they keep improving the proposition. They're not standing still. And if you're not standing still, that really helps you to deal with any potential future threats that might come your way. Thanks, Lawrence. And just as a final question, um, we say at Scottish Mortgage, we're trying to identify, own and support the world's most exceptional growth companies. So in your opinion, how do you think about HelloFresh being an exceptional growth company? And, and how would you describe the scale of the opportunity that they have ahead? So, so the first thing I'd say is that when we first invested in 2015, we underestimated HelloFresh. Um, it, it's shown us that their market opportunity is a lot larger than we thought. And you know what is interesting about HelloFresh is that you could you could say that the huge opportunity is absolutely huge. It's seven trillion dollars of um, the amount spent on food at home, and they're obviously a tiny, tiny percentage. I mean, Dominic gave the number of their one percent of meals, and so it's less, I think, about how big is the opportunity, and more how can they improve their proposition to tap into that opportunity set because the opportunity or their addressable market will be determined by how good they can make their proposition. So going back to 2015, when you're doing five meal options, you have a much smaller opportunity set. If you can do 50, it's a lot bigger. If you can do 100, it gets even bigger. 
Um, and if you can start adding in ready-to-eat where suddenly um, if you don't have as much time or, or you're very ashamed of your culinary skills as I might be, um, it becomes, again, more attractive and more options over time. As Dominic said, there's an element of it being not just competitive but complementary um, to how people eat. And so that, that means that I think the opportunity set is huge, but I think it will be determined by how much they can improve their product. Um, and then the final element was one we touched on within that, which is you know, they've built these muscles up as a D2C brand machine. And there's an interesting question of where can they apply those muscles? Um, so ready to eat is one, and I think validates, look, we can move into a new area and build a big billion-dollar business here. Um, they've got Pets Table. Um, they have another one about sort of um, premium meal, uh, premium meat cuts that they're, they're trying as well. And as he said, there'll be a number more. And so that means that it's very, very hard to actually say what the opportunity set is here. But I think the best things that we invest in are ones where you know the opportunity set is large. We spend trillions of dollars on food, um, but you don't know how large it is and it's unbounded. And that's a very good place to be. That makes it very difficult to model in different scenarios what a company might be able to achieve. But having an opportunity set that is large and somewhat unbounded and within your control, those are good starting conditions. Well, that sounds like a, a pretty optimistic uh, note to leave it on. And actually, ironically, when you and Dominic were talking, my HelloFresh box was actually delivered on my doorstep during your conversation. So looking forward to seeing what's on uh, the menu tonight. So, Lawrence, thank you very much for your time. I really enjoyed that conversation. Great. Thanks. So a huge thank you to our guests today, Dominic Richter of HelloFresh and to Deputy Manager of Scottish Mortgage, Lawrence Burns. Next on season two, we welcome Paul Schiara, the Executive Chairman of Joby Aviation. The team at Joby are determining the future of aviation by developing electric aircraft. Described as the Uber of the skies, these aircrafts are designed to make traditional long and congested routes, such as the one from JFK Airport to Manhattan, faster and greener. Be sure to tune in.